Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's word and consider how it applies to our lives. Well, I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, we're, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount and you may have familiarity with that, but if you don't, it's in Matthew. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it really is Jesus telling us what his people are going to be like, what his kingdom's going to be like. Uh, it's a powerful counterculture message. Last week, we talked about the end of the sermon because I really wanted us to have a sense of where Jesus is going with us. And it's really kind of a Hebrew way, and the Hebrew uh, way of telling stories is, let's tell the end before we tell the beginning. And so I really wanted us to get this sense of what, why this matters. And in simple terms, just to kind of summarize it, why this matters is because when we live the way Jesus teaches us to live, we are building our house on the rock. We're building our lives, uh, the things we depend on, upon a solid rock so that when the storms come, when the crisis comes, when coronavirus comes, we will not crumble and be swept away by a flood. Because that's what happens when you build on the sand. And so I, I so want us to embrace the way that Jesus wants us to live. Because anxiety, frankly, right now, I think is killing everybody. We don't know what's going to be next. And we're anxious about it. And we think about it. What's going to be the next restriction? What's going to be the next thing we lose? Who's going to get sick next? Um, I want us to focus on how Jesus wants his people to live. And I think it's going to be a great encouragement to you. Today, this title of the sermon is God's Applause. God's Applause. Wouldn't you like to live with a sense that God is pleased and that he's going, yeah, way to go. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that relieve a lot of attention in your life? Wouldn't that make you feel confident? Wouldn't it remove the anxiety? A lot of people, when they think spiritually, they think, well, you know, how should I really how do I know how I'm doing, you know? How do I know if God is pleased with me? And sadly, so many people think, well, it must be if I'm wealthy, God is pleased with me. Or it must be if I'm healthy, God is pleased with me. Or, or it must be that, that if I have friends, if I have influence, if, I, if everything is going well, that God is pleased with me. And I just need to tell you, that's not so. In fact, if there is no challenge in your life, I don't know if God's blessing your life. Let me just be honest with you. I know that sounds upside down. Well, that's, that's why. Because Jesus wants us to change the way we think about our lives and about our spiritual lives with him. He wants to turn it upside down. Because the way he scores is like the PGA rather than the NBA. And you know what I'm saying, right? The, the PGA scores that the lowest score wins. Well, the, in the NBA, it's the highest score that wins. And so in our spiritual lives, Jesus scores a lot differently than we would think. Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't give us a list of fruit of the Spirit, which are great, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's how we should live. When he talks about his people... He's talking about characteristics that no one really aspires to. 
that you can't really fake, these characteristics he's about to give us in this next, uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 5, they are characteristics that God must develop in you. You can't conjure them up and say, oh, I want to be this way, I want to be that way. What Jesus is doing, he's saying, this, these are what my team members look like. If you're a sports fan right now, you're dying because there isn't any, right? Uh, and that may be a good thing. I would say for most of us it is a good thing because we're not, you know, kind of medicating ourselves away for, with our, uh, dealing with our anxiety by watching a game. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we probably do it too much. Um, but if you're a sports fan, one of the things you may be interested in right now is that the Miami Dolphins have three first-round picks uh, in, the, in the draft, which is happening in April. And it's going to happen, apparently. And so we're all kind of thinking, okay, Miami's got three first-round picks. They've got some second-round picks. They get to rebuild their team. What kind of player are they looking for? And uh, the way they think, it sounds a lot like the way the Patriots have thought for years. We're looking for a specific type of player. We're not looking necessarily for the greatest superstar. We're looking for the player that's going to fit into our system, and we're going to develop them to work in our system. And really, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm picking my people, and I'm giving you opportunities to be a part of my kingdom. But it's not going to look like you think. And you'll be able to recognize my people by these characteristics. Now, to be sure, not everyone has all of these characteristics. But you should see some of them. And so let's get into it. This is Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So uh, Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says this. The P- and again, let me just set the tone. Jesus is saying he is gaining popularity. He's healing people. Uh, he's doing amazing things. Everyone's following him, and they want to know, Jesus, uh, what are you expecting of us? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to be? And Jesus says this, Matthew records Jesus, the story this way. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So this is a picture of Jesus being portrayed as the new Moses. If you know your your Hebrew history, you know that Moses was the greatest leader of all time. He, he wrote the Torah. He's credited with that. And he established the law. And God gave Moses the law, where? On, on a mountain. So this is Jesus becoming the new Moses. And as he does, Jesus is fulfilling the law, and he's describing to his people what they're to be and what they're going to be. And when, they're in their, when, when they become a part of his kingdom, what they should expect and how they should expect to live. And he starts off this awesome sermon by giving them eight what are called beatitudes. And very simply, they are known as blessings, eight blessings. And so Jesus starts with these eight blessings. And it's important for us to understand what the word blessings or blessed means. There's a lot of debate about this, and a lot of great theologians have have weighed in on this. Um, The great preacher, uh, F. Kent Hughes, says that um, the word blessed means approved by God. Oh, I love that, don't you? Max Lucado says it is those who are receiving the applause of 
God. And that's, don't you, wouldn't you love for God to applaud you? Um, there are many others. Uh, John Mark Comer says, these are the people that Jesus came for who have these characteristics. That's, what, that's who Jesus came for. Some people think it's just people who are fortunate. Um, but in all of these, the idea is that these are people that God approves of, that he has drafted, if you will, that he has chosen, that he has developed. And so there's a great sense of approval of God on the people who are living in the manner outlined in these verses. So let's look at the first two. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that doesn't sound good at all. That doesn't sound like health and wealth. That doesn't sound like somewhere I want to be. I don't like being poor. Matter of fact, that's what I'm concerned about right now, that this virus is going to make me poor. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's make a sense of that. What does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's what he's saying. It's not so much a financial issue, although financially, when you're poor, it can make you poor in spirit. The idea of that word poor is to be a beggar, a beggar. And if we say a beggar in spirit, what he's saying is it's something that God greatly approves of when we are a spiritual beggars. Think about that. In these last two weeks, three weeks, have you been at the place where you've come before God and said, God, I, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. I need for you to fill me. My spirit is empty. My spiritual uh, wallet, if you will, is empty. I can't, I've spent all I've got on dealing with this crisis. God, I need for you to fill me. If that's the case, and if you've done it in faith to come, Jesus, I need you to fill me. God approves of you. God approves of you. See, he wants you to constantly be coming to him and realizing, God, I need to be filled by you. I, I got nothing. God, would you please fill me? And he says this, he says, if you're a spiritual beggar, you have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It seems upside down, doesn't it? Because the world would say, no, I want to be happy, I want to be spiritually full, I want to be constantly saying how great things are. I... No, what we want to do is constantly be coming to that place, even if it hurts, and it does, to say, God, I need you because I got nothing. I'm spiritually empty. I'm spiritually a beggar. I need for you to fill me. That's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. And the second beatitude is very much like it. Blessed are those that mourn for what? They shall be comforted. No one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I hope I get to mourn today. I hope I get some bad news. I hope someone calls me and tells me something awful so that I can know. What he's saying is blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sin of the world, that it bothers them. There's a sense of mourning, of sadness. So if you're someone who likes sad songs, this is for you, right? And I think that's why sad songs are so popular in some ways. But God is saying, I want you to care. I want you to mourn over sin. This stems from, really, Jesus is casting himself uh, as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and especially Isaiah 60. Uh, one, one, where it says, 
And Jesus, you know, reads this in Luke chapter 4 and applies it to himself. It says, the spirit, of the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring what? The good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Do you see the themes in there? I, I, the brokenhearted, those who are mourning, and, and what what this pictures is the remnant of Israel is mourning over the fact that they have been overrun and in exile. And the remnant is there saying, we're mourning over what has happened because of our sin. When we can get sorrowful over our sin, we're repentant. And we can receive the healing, uh, cleansing of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing, amazing Thing. So, God approves of you when you're mourning. God approves of you when you're poor in spirit. And the next is really starts to get interesting. And this is verse 5. And God says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. And you think, I don't like that word meek because that sounds weak. We need to kind of understand what this word really means because it was applied to both Moses and Jesus, meekness. And here's the idea. Jesus goes to the cross and allows himself to be crucified because he chooses that. In other words, he chooses to allow himself to be sacrificed. That's the picture. It's kind of like, in a very simple, another sports metaphor, it's taking one for the team. I choose to sacrifice myself, even though I have other options, and he certainly did. Blessed are the meek. And it's interesting, he says, for they shall inherit the earth. What do we usually do with the earth? We try to, what, conquer the earth. And he's saying, Listen, when you allow yourself to suffer, when you have other options, that's what's called meekness. I could take out all these people with one word, is what Jesus could do, but I choose to suffer instead. Let me ask you, are you suffering today? Are you maybe caring for someone who needs to be cared for, but you're putting yourself at risk, like some of our frontline first first responders? That's a sense of meekness. You have the power to not be in harm's way, but yet you put yourself there. That's meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall receive what they weren't trying to gain because they were putting others first. Verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the idea here is that God's people, the people in the kingdom, what they do is they get a taste of the greatness of Jesus, but it's not enough. It's like a little bit of ice cream, man, when you just need the whole bowl, only it doesn't make you fat, right? It's, it's an incredible thing. It's the sense of, I don't just stop with getting a little bit of righteousness. I'm going to keep going. See, the people in the kingdom, those on the team of Jesus, are always on a journey. They never arrive. So if you're around someone who says to me, yeah, I think I got it made. I accepted Jesus. I'm good. I've changed my life. And so I'm pretty much just kind of resting on my laurels. They're not receiving the applause of God. They're kind of stopped. People of God, people of the kingdom, people who are followers of Jesus, 
are always on their way. They're always on a journey. The next one is really interesting as well. He says, not only blessed are the meek, but blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who would have thought that mercy would have been thought of as something wonderful, something good? These, this particular beatitude gets to the issue of somebody that really deserves for you to put them in their place, but you don't. Someone who, who deserves maybe to receive some kind of retribution, but you don't do that. You don't take every opportunity you can maybe to get a dig in on them or, or to put them in their place. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who want others to not be punished, even though they probably deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, those of us who, by the grace of God, have received his salvation, we've received mercy. And if you've received mercy, you want others to receive mercy as well. Verse 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what? Just like all of these, no one, no one can develop a pure heart on their own. No one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I think I'm going to have a pure heart. No, it's someone who says to Jesus, I want you to make my heart pure. Please don't leave it divided. Don't let me be two-faced. Don't let me have ulterior motives. But Jesus, let my heart be pure towards others. Let me be pure and, and have the heart of God for others. It says, for they shall see God. Again, it's a characteristic that Jesus develops in us. And then he goes on to verse 9, and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are people who want to see other people have peace with God, not have enmity with God, but, but, but have this sense of, Oh, things are good between me and God. Those are the people who want to share the good news. It's that they shall be called the sons of God. Again, they're part of God's team. And then in verse uh, 10, 11, and 12, he finishes with the idea of persecution. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, not are all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is great in heaven. And so, they pers- and, and so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Here's the idea. Being persecuted means that someone is treating you badly because of Jesus. Very simply. No one wants to be treated badly, but Jesus applauds those who are treated badly because of him. Because that's how his prophets have been treated. And it's a mark, it's a sign that you are on God's team. God applauds that. God approves that. Now, don't go out there and try to get persecuted, right? I had a friend who intentionally wore uh, something on his shirt that would offend his employer. That's not That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who is living for Jesus, who is representing him well, who is mistreated by others. And know that persecution is very real in our culture and in our world. Uh, There have been more martyrs in the last hundred years than all history of of the church of Christ. So know that that's a part of following Jesus. If you're persecuted, 
you're mistreated because of him, he's applauding. He's applauding. Did you notice as we went through those that you can't just try to act out those characteristics? God has to develop them in you. You can't really wake up in the morning and say, man, I want to be more merciful or I want to be a peacemaker or I want to be... Per-. These are things that God develops in you. You can't cause them to happen, but you can block them. You can block them. You can say, Jesus, I've gone as far as I can go. I don't want to go any further. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid uh, being persecuted. I don't want to be poor in spirit, so I'm going to constantly self-medicate rather than feel the depths of feeling when it means to be uh, poor in spirit and to mourn. When you do that, you miss the approval of God. You miss his applause, and you wind up being very anxious and wondering, am I okay with God? Don't block what God is doing and wants to develop in you. You see, God uses crises and people often to develop us to live an upside-down life. He uses crises and people to develop the characteristics of an upside-down life. Let me ask you, who's in your life that's difficult? They're just difficult, and you say, I wish they would just straighten up. I wish they would get with the program. I I wish that they would quit annoying me. I wish that they would get right with God. Listen, a lot of times those people are the people that God are using in your life to give you opportunity to show mercy, to give you opportunity to sacrifice, to be meek, and take a hit, even though you could really straighten them out. What is God doing in this crisis? Is he causing you to trust him more, to to come to him to be filled? Is he giving you opportunities, maybe because you're you're locked in with your family, to be a peacemaker, uh, to develop that in you? That's the case. Let him do that. Let him do that embrace God's scoring system, right? Embrace the what God embraces and approves of. And when you see that in yourself, when you say, man, I I can't believe I was so low that I came to God and he filled me. Hear the applause. God's excited about that. And when you got to be merciful for someone, even though you're kind of like, ah, this doesn't feel good, or when you sacrifice for someone, oh, this, this hurts, God is pleased. Because he's developing you, in you, the characteristics of his follower. I hope this has been helpful for you. I want to pray with you and for you. Because these crises are going to bring out these issues. Will you allow God to form in you his characteristics, his his beatitudes during these days? Would you pray with me? Just right there, wherever you are watching this, bow your head. And if you're with a group, everyone bow your head. Ask these questions. Do I avoid being spiritually, being a spiritual beggar? Do I refuse to mourn over my sin? Do I just constantly justify it? Do I avoid sacrifice? Have I stopped seeking more righteousness and just kind of figured I've gone as far as I need to go? Am I merciful? Is my heart pure? 
do I have a sense in me that I want peace for other people? And am I willing to be persecuted? Oh, follower of Jesus, don't stop what God wants to do in you. And I know that a lot of these things really do hurt. Just remember what Jesus did. He could have avoided all of the pain, but he sacrificed for you. And God is wanting to develop his character in you. Would you let him do that as you're praying to God? Would you let him do that? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you've never trusted him today, if you've never said, Jesus, I need for your price to pay for my sin, would you ask him to save you today and repent of your sin? Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the privilege of knowing you and being able to preach your word. God, you are an awesome and amazing God. And I just pray that our people, we could all have a sense of at least one of these beatitudes this week and have a sense of your approval, of your applause. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Del Rey. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless.